Hi, Tim. Hi, Ash. Welcome back to Breaking the Fourth Wall, where we engage in stimulating conversations about ways we can promote positive change in musical theater. First, we wanted to just thank all of our listeners who have sent us so many messages on Facebook and Instagram and email and those that we have... Those of you that we have seen in person that have just given us wonderful feedback about this podcast and how it is really opening your eyes to have these conversations that a lot of people are not having. So please, 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 if you want more, then leave us a review and a rating. We would extremely appreciate it and keep those messages coming. If there's anything that you'd like us to talk about, any feedback you have, we would really like to hear from you. And since this is breaking the fourth wall we really want to have a dialogue about these conversations that we're having each episode so make sure you hit us up and uh leave us some feedback yeah you can check out tim at timespinosa.com or me at ashleyespinosa.com and tim where can they find you on instagram on instagram they can reach me at tim espinosa official and i am at ashley lynn espinosa all right tim what puzzler do you have for us today okay you ready What musical featured the first all-female team in the role of director, choreographer, and composer-lyricist? One of my favorite musicals. Ah, Not yet. We're going to come back around at the very end of this episode. But uh, sit on that for just a little while here, and then we'll check back with our listeners, and we are going to answer that question together. Sounds good. So let's move on. What's in the news? Okay, so a couple of things I want to talk about. Um, there, it, it was just announced that there's going to be a Netflix series. It's a 10-part series on Netflix that is going to be about a chorus line. Very similar to um, the recent Fosse Verdon series, but this one is about a chorus line. And it's a limited series, but they're going to expand it into a 10-part adaptation. um, And it's just now in the early stages of development. So they haven't even announced any date that it's coming soon. But um, Ryan Murphy is the one that's producing it, who won a Tony Award early this year for the revival of the boys in the band. Um, And he's also developing a couple of other adaptations as well. Um, And they're talking about doing this for, um, he's going to be presenting the movie version of The Prom with a cast of Meryl Streep, Nicole Kidman, and James Corden. So the same person producing all of these. And talk about timing, you know, I'm going to be directing a chorus line in the spring at Fullerton College. We'll be holding auditions at the end of this fall semester. And it could be more perfect timing to get the buzz going about our production for a chorus line. That's exciting. Yeah. Okay, well, we also have another musical. I was really excited when I was reading about this musical because I hadn't heard about it until this past week. And it's a new musical about a Filipino faith healer that is opening off Broadway. It's called Felix Starro. And this is actually the first time that a musical has been created by Filipino Americans that's going to be presented off Broadway. And I heard it wasn't necessarily the strongest script, but... What an amazing opportunity for Pacific Islanders to have an opportunity to have representation off-Broadway. Yes, the critics really didn't quite like the book or the story, but the the point is that we're seeing representation on Broadway and they're having an opportunity to showcase their work and maybe craft it and work it to develop it even more. That's right. And how exciting is that? The fact that we get to see 
further and stronger representation in the area of Asian Pacific Islander on Broadway and off-Broadway. Absolutely. And what I thought was exciting about this one, we're not going to be able to check it out because it is closing September Mm -hmm. 15th. So a very short run, but it is a very conceptual uh, musical. It's like a band of four and a cast of seven. Wow. So really small. Very small. And it was kind of um, uh, related to what what the Oklahoma revival. Mm -hmm. So very, very different, Um, a very conceptual musical very small very intimate and you know I'm all about the concept and very conceptual show so I wish I could we could see this I wish we had the opportunity yes. to get out to York but um, I'm looking forward to hearing about uh, the experience of from the actors about uh, what it's been like working on this show um, okay next I wanted to talk about this um, production of Avida not on Broadway but it's presenting being presented at New York City's New York City Center's um, upcoming gala presentation mm-hmm. and there are going to be they're they're kind of switching up the role of Ava Prone a bit there are going to be two performers playing Ava one is going to be when she's 15 to 20 years old and one is going to be when she's 20 to 33 years old and forgive me if I'm wrong, but I think this was the original intention that Andrew Lloyd Webber had originally thought of when he wanted to create this show. I know that it was stated that Hal Prince okay, Hal envisioned, Prince, yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah, that Hal Prince envisioned it being three different performers, very similar to uh, Share Show, Share Show, Fun, Fun Home, Home, Shrek, mm-hmm. where we see them growing up in in three stages, and they're the two females that are going to be portraying these roles the first one when when ava's 15 to 20 is the argentinian argentinian recording artist would you pronounce her name so it's properly done yes her name is maya refico yes and she did um she was uh the nickelodeon latin america's um Callie's mashup it stated I'm not sure what that is but the other performer that's going to be portraying Ava when she's 20 to 33 is the Hamilton alum Soleil Pfeiffer uh, and she's actually right now in the Globe, the Old Globe production here in San Diego. Oh, that's right. She's doing Almost Famous, isn't she? Yes. So I'm quite interested to see how that happens because they just extended their run of Almost Famous. It's doing really, really well down in San Diego. I know. We've got to go see it. Mm-hmm. And they've extended their run. And this is happening um, fairly soon. Uh, it's going to run November 13th through the 24th in midtown so i'm interested to see how she gets back and forth quite yeah quickly. she's gonna be quite busy i know there's also a few other people that are joining the cast it the cast is very diverse it seems like it's being represented with um the representation of actors that you really should see mm-hmm. in this type of production and that is exciting to me and i think that brings up a really interesting point too about shows that have traditionally uh had Latin themes, for example, uh, Men of La Mancha and, and of course, Evita, uh, shows that maybe where the um, the principal characters were uh, of Caucasian descent when they originally opened, I think back then we were kind of thinking about diversity through a very different lens. But now that we're so much more hyper aware of creating further representation for, say, the Latinx community, I think it's important that we do create those spaces, those performance spaces in shows like Mad La Mancha and West Side Story and Evita, where those principal players, I think they should be of Latin descent. It, it brings a uniqueness to the conversation that maybe hadn't been had before in previous productions. And the, the one of the previous revivals, Evita, Lin-Manuel Miranda worked on, and the, actually the script was... For West Side Story you're talking about. Oh, right? West Side Story. Yeah, yes, West Side you're Story. correct. Part Spanish, part English. I think that's really important to explore that cultural context of using multilingual 
experience in a Broadway musical. And with the revival of West Side Story, when Lin-Manuel Miranda worked on the show, it brought a whole new context and texture to the show that hadn't been really there before. And so you can hear it in an example of A Boy Like That. Tú ya no estás pensando claro Y ese amor te sale caro what I thought was actually interesting on that same topic with, with this um, a production of Evita, not on Broadway, not off Broadway, but at this um, gala presentation, was that the team, the creative team, was very diverse. And there are many females working on this production. Mm-hmm. And so I was, I'm always noticing that on the creative team as yeah. well, with the diversity that we're seeing and that it is not predominantly men. That's great. And this production is doing that. So that was exciting. We also have the recent announcement that the musical Mrs. Doubtfire, based on the film, is going to be now moving from a reading to a full production at the Fifth Avenue Theater. This must be a really popular trend right now because we are seeing 90s and 80s movies being revived and turned into musicals mm-hmm. like like 24-7. Yes. We just, obviously, we just saw Pretty Woman on Broadway. And then Tootsie. And then Tootsie, and now we've got Mrs. Doubtfire. Yes, we are seeing a lot of films to musicals lately. And Beetlejuice, of course. So Rob McClure, who is currently in Beetlejuice, will be leaving Beetlejuice and taking on the lead role in Mrs. Doubtfire. Mm. For this reading. He was um, part of the reading, and now he's going to be taking um, over the role in this full-scale production, which is exciting. So it's based on the 1993 comedy. Um, It does expect to have a Broadway debut after this West Coast production, but no, nothing has really been set in stone yet or announced yet. The performances at the Fifth Avenue Theater are going to run from November 26th to December 29th. It is directed by Jerry Zaks and... um, choreographed by Lauren Lataro. Um, We also see that nobody else has been announced. There were people from the reading, but nobody else has been announced officially other than Rob. I think it's a really big challenge for these Broadway actors, these performers to come in and fill some really big shoes when it comes to uh, replacing these iconic roles that have been covered by film actors such as Robin Williams in the role yes. of Mrs. Doubtfire. I mean, you think Mrs. Doubtfire, it's synonymous with Robin Williams. Uh, we think a pretty woman, you think you can't help but think of Julia Roberts and Richard Gere. And of I course, know. Beetlejuice, Michael Keaton. What I think what I'm hoping happens is Rob LeClure brings his own interpretation uh, to Mrs. Doubtfire, not a recreation of what Robin Williams did so effectively in the film. Yeah, I agree with you. And that's what, when we saw Beetlejuice, it was very similar. We, mm-hmm. It's very nostalgic film, and we were hoping that it was going to be something a bit different and not just film to stage. And it wasn't. It was something totally, I mean, it was. It was something totally different. And it did give us the nostalgia that we had wanted so badly. Yes, but they created a different concept that was going to work for the stage and work for the person, the actor that was playing Beetlejuice right now on Broadway. That's right. And it was really well done. And I hope they do that with Mrs. Doubtfire as well. I'm still... It's a bit challenging for me because with this announcement now, another another film adaptation, Mm -hmm. but also another production that is predominantly men... And just like Tootsie, a role with a man dressing as a woman without, you know, being trans or it's it's, it's just a different thing. It's challenging for me as a female. I totally get it. I totally get it. And I guess my question is, is it the right time to produce these kinds of shows? Yes. With all of the material that's out there, with all of the new works that are being created that's out there, it's just a little challenging. I, I am excited for the people that are working on these shows. I just... 
I wish that we could see a bit more diversity on stage now with the way that we're really wanting to see representation on mm-hmm. Broadway. And so I... I Especially in terms of female powerhouse roles. Yes. You know? Yes. And, and you know, I we always talk about this as well with how many roles we're seeing that are females mm-hmm. that are played by men, like Matilda. Yep. Um, the the teacher role that's female was played by a man on Broadway. Mm-hmm. Ursula yep. in Little Mermaid is often played by a man. Although it was originated by a female. Yes. But, but we're starting to see in regional circuits, uh, men are often playing the role of Ursula as a device. And while yes. interesting, I think it's something that we're, we're taking away, an opportunity we're taking away from very uh, specific females that can play these roles. It's just, it, as a female, I just want to see more representation of female actresses on stage in leading roles that allow us to hear female stories. Absolutely. Um, the last announcement that I have is that Music Man, the Broadway revival, they already announced the two leads. Mm-hmm. So, of course, Sutton Foster. And Hugh Jackman. Yes. And now they just announced a few more as well. Okay. So we have Jane... Um, who to show? Yes, playing the role of Miss Shin. She was in The Humans, and I believe we saw her in The Humans. Yes, we did, and she was incredible. Yes, and also she was in King Lear. And then we see Jefferson Mays is going to be playing the role of Mayor Shin. And he's absolutely brilliant actor. He's hilarious. He was um, in A Gentleman's Guide to Love and Murder. Mm-hmm. Uh, we also see um, Shuler Hensley, who's going to be playing the role of... Marcellus Washburn. Yes, who is in Oklahoma and also the ferryman. Mm-hmm. And then we see Marie Mullen, who is going to be playing Mrs. Peru. And then she was originally in The Beauty Queen of Lanon, mm-hmm. which is a brilliant play. Yes. As I was looking at this announcement, I started to picture these folks in my mind. <laughs> I know where you're going with this. <laughs> it, it, it It's shaping to be a very white cast. I agree with you. And as much as I think these actors are all brilliant, it has nothing to do with them. The um, creative team for this musical is, as well, um, pretty white. We have, um, it's Scott Rudin who's producing it, and we are seeing him reunite his Hello Dolly cast, Mm -hmm. which is the uh, Hello Dolly creative team, Mm -hmm. I meant. The same Uh, creative team from Hello Dolly. Yes. And so we have Jerry Zachs and a team of predominantly men and predominantly white folks. So I feel like this is, we're repeating a pattern. Yes. And, uh, you know, like we said, sometimes we have the conversations that are waiting in the wings that that we're thinking about, but we're not saying. And I think in one of our previous episodes, we talked about these revivals and how there's an opportunity to bring a unique perspective exactly the way that Oklahoma did. And whether you appreciate that production of Oklahoma or not, you have to, and you can't take away from that show what they did in terms of changing the conversation that can be had about a show like Oklahoma. That was written in the 40s. Exactly. And here we have a show that's written in the 50s Mm -hmm. that traditionally is performed by an all-white 
uh, all-white cast or all-white principles. And so to see this kind of being repeated again, when you have two star vehicles of the names of Hugh Jackman and Sutton Foster, I think that's enough to sell out tickets. Why not create space for some supporting roles that are people of color? Yes. You know, and let give those younger performers that that loved have grown up and loved the music man their whole lives. Uh, those performers of color, those Latinx performers, those Pacific Islander, Asian performers, those black actors who have been wanting to play roles in The Music Man, maybe have wanted to play Mayor Shin or play Marcellus and give them the opportunity to see themselves in this show. Absolutely. And not even just, you know, you said younger actors, which I, I support as well, but actors that are more of a mature age. That's right. And so I, I just feel like they had an opportunity mm-hmm. to take this classic and do something unique, something different. And since they have these two vehicles, yes, they can sell tickets. And I do get it. You have to make money. Mm-hmm. We, we understand that. Broadway is commercial. It really is. But they had an opportunity that I feel like was a bit wasted. And so I'm hoping when we see the ensemble that it's going to be a little bit different. I hope so too. And I have to imagine it that, that it's going to be. If we're talking about diversifying a cast and and a creative team, really, from what we've seen this week... How can we advocate for that change? And where does that change start? And on Broadway, of course, it's going to start with a producer. Of course. At the regional level, so where many of us work, regionally, um, collegiately, community-wise, how can we start to advocate for this change? And what can we do? And I was thinking about seeing what your thoughts were on the creative team, because it really starts there. Once you have a diverse creative team, then that idea can then be translated into your cast. Yes, this is a great point to bring up, and I think it's such a topical conversation to have right now. I know from personal experience um, as a director, I am privileged to have the opportunity in the creative space that I work at uh, to be able to select my creative team. And when I first was hired, I noticed that there was, I don't want to call it a problem, but there was a challenge being presented where, where we needed to see further representation, not only just of people of color, but uh, but also of women uh, in those creative positions, either in a, the role of costume designer, lighting designer, scenic designer, or, uh, or a choreographer or a musical director. And so when I started assembling, initially assembling a creative team to start working on the shows with me, I made sure that I was going to bring a stronger female voice to the productions that I was working on. So I made it a point to find a powerful, a wonderfully strong choreographer that I could collaborate with that would share the same vision and want to take the same kind of journey that sometimes my mind will go on. And the same also speaks to my musical director that I work at or the musical directors that I work with. I wanted to find a strong, powerful female voice to to represent the role of musical director at the collegiate level. And so I've been really fortunate to surround myself, one, by exceptionally talented artists, creative artists who happen to be female. And I think that's something that we have to push for is if we see that there's a systemic problem in regional theater at the collegiate level, uh, in terms of who you're surrounding yourself by, you, you've got to really think about and have the imagination to say, I'm going to step, take a step further and make sure that I surround myself either with more women and also more people of color. Yes, absolutely. And so I, I think I think you bring up a really interesting point because I think sometimes it's not by anyone's fault, but I think we subconsciously forget about that. And I think that's something that has to be considered. And 
by just taking those steps, it starts to make you aware. Mm -hmm. I think many people aren't aware and being a female (laughs) myself and being a female that, you know, is, is in the directing world and is in the performing world. And that's trying to also advocate for female artists. Like the last three productions that I directed, it was almost predominantly an entire female team. And you specifically went in with the mission to yes. find a predominantly creative female creative team, which I think was a beautiful thing to see unfold. As a female, I look at a program and I see, I see that it's predominantly white men. Mm-hmm. And I think if we just start considering the idea of let's look at our creative team first who do we want in the room Mm -hmm. how can we have representation in the room before you go to rehearsal Mm -hmm. and how can you find people that you want to collaborate with that's going to make that production unique and specific and different and not the same music man that everybody's done i agree you know not the same hello dolly not the same you know, uh, whatever production you're doing, how can you put your stamp on it and make it something unique that speaks to perhaps even the location that you're at? And I think all this that you're mentioning is really important for uh, for all of those directors out there, those artistic directors and those producers out there to really consider when selecting. Because I know oftentimes the director, does, like myself, doesn't have the ability to, to select their own team. It's that often, is true. It's Sometimes often, it's selected for them. Yeah. And so... My challenge, again, I like to lay down gauntlets throughout the course of our episodes, to any producers or creative teams, think about the creative makeup, the visual makeup of your team. How many women are being represented? How many people of color are being represented? I promise you all, if you take that risk and if you take a step in that direction to, uh, to, to seek out stronger representation in your creative teams, you will be celebrated as a visionary. And it will make the entire production so much more diverse and unique. And I I know so many amazing, talented artists that are females that I have like brought into my, Mm -hmm. you know, shows when I can to work with that are out of graduate school, that are looking for work, that are ready, that are excited, like, you know, Rachel Chavkin said, that are standing in the wings going, hello, I'm here, I'm here, give (laughs) me the opportunity. And... I think if we just start asking and looking around and, and having these conversations that nobody wants to have, that we're taking a risk <laughs> and saying, okay, we're going to be the ones to talk about it, that hopefully maybe that will change. And again, I don't think this is malicious. It just needs to be talked about so we're aware. This is not about antagonizing anyone no. or anything in the theater. It's about promoting positive change yes and the last point i wanted to bring up it's it's obviously important that we seek out stronger representation in all arenas but also we need to make sure that our creative team is ready to take the 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 creative journey that the director wants to go on and again i'll speak from personal experience Uh, i'm currently working on a production of bright star right now we just started rehearsals and one thing that I noticed with my choreographer, I'm going to shout out to Allison, uh, <laughs> Love is <you>. that <laughs> um, when I am in rehearsal and I'm staging a moment, I get to a moment where the choreography has to take over or the movement speaks louder than the words or right, the dialogue. Right. What I would do, and it's it's kind of, we've got this interesting synergy now where I pause in my directing. I'll look behind over my shoulder. I'll look at Allison and she'll go, yep, I got it. Good. Got it. Yeah. You know, and then she'll step right up and she knows exactly where to pick up. 
And I think that's really important. I think that's important that your your MD and your choreographer and your creative team all around. And your stage managers and your design team, that they are feeding off of each other. Mm -hmm. I absolutely love sitting at a table and doing pre-production. And all of a sudden, the idea that I came in with my concept becomes our concept. And everybody adds to it and layers it. So it becomes something that is even more brilliant because it's not one artist it's a multitude it's the voice of of many yes working together and i think once you diversify that voice that it will diversify your product yeah great conversation i know (laughs) let's take it back to the puzzler tim all right the answer for us today okay so let's go back to the question the puzzler for today was what musical featured the first all-female team in the role of director choreographer, and composer-lyricist? The answer is... Waitress! I know um, all of my students out there that have taken history of musical theater with me should know the answer to that question. I had so many students write me and go, I know every single answer so far to your podcast <laughs> because of your class. So and and you. for you. my students that are taking my MT history class this semester... Don't get too excited. This is one of the questions that will come up. So you're getting a freebie on your future final exam. So (laughs) write it down, memorize it. We will cover it much later in the semester. So the first female, we're talking about director, choreographer, and composer, lyricist, correct? Yes. So the director, of course, Diane Paulus. Yeah. And then the choreographer, um, Lauren Lazaro. Mm -hmm. And then, of course, Sarah Bareilles was the composer and lyricist. Isn't it crazy that it took until Waitress opened on Broadway, what? a few years ago that it took that long. It took until the the 2010s for that to happen. That blows my mind. Crazy, is it not? Mm -hmm. Well, we're getting there. We are. We're We're advocating for that change we want to see. That's right. We're going to leave you uh, today with a little... soundbite by Diane Paulus and she's going to talk a little bit about her process as a director when working with both her creative team in pre-production and even more importantly what happens uh, how the how the creative process with the actors unfolds and how her relationship how she views her relationship with the creative team and the performers sounds great well have a wonderful week and we'll see you next week I always say on my first day of rehearsal um, I'm going to bring an idea to the table I expect you to bring an idea to the table, but I'm looking for the third idea that is better than either of our ideas. And I find that's really important to say up front because it puts the actor um, in a creative headspace. You know, as directors, sometimes people think that we want actors to do what we tell them to do. This idea of the actor as a puppet, that that's your dream experience when the actors just do what the director wants. That is my nightmare.